Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TixBlitz.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TixBlitz.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Good evening, Aaron. I'm doing well. Uh, trying to stay as safe as I can. Uh, this is our post-draft edition of Halitech Hall, and we are pleased to have with us another Windy City Gridiron great, uh, Mr. Jacob Infante. Jacob, how are you this evening? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Uh, had the past few days to rest up a little bit from all this you know, draft commotion. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm ready to, you know, break down these picks here. Absolutely. Before we get to the Bears picks, uh, the, the biggest talk around the NFL uh, has been the interesting draft choices, especially the first round draft choice of the Green Bay Packers. And uh, even, uh, even Brett Favre was on NFL Network today or with the rich on the Rich Eisen show saying that the Packers have essentially burned a bridge with Aaron Rodgers. What's your take on this whole situation? Uh, well, on one end, I do understand uh, the whole optics of taking Jordan Love because Jordan Love, especially that late in the first round, I thought he was a good value pick because of the upside he brings, the strong arm he has, the athleticism, the touches, a brilliant deep ball touch. Uh, it was just a really weird fit, especially for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he's not necessarily at the peak of his game anymore, but he's still a more than competent player, uh, and he's still got a handful of years left in him. And I think that the way that Aaron Rodgers' contract is currently structured – it's pretty tough for uh, the Packers going to be able to trade Aaron Rodgers if they want to or cut him and let Jordan Love start, uh, which means that basically by the time that Aaron Rodgers' contract is movable and they can either let go of him, uh, assuming he doesn't retire before his contract expires, uh, then they're going to have to make a decision on whether to pick up Jordan Love's fifth-year option without ever having seen him play which I think is going to be a really difficult situation. I mean, the Packers did something along those lines with Aaron Rodgers. They re-signed him with a very small sample size, but Aaron Rodgers played part of a season as the starter before he got re-signed, and that wasn't to a necessarily massive deal, if I recall correctly. So this is going to be a very interesting dilemma that the Packers are going to have to deal with two or three years down the road. I thought that with Aaron Rodgers in tow right now and with uh, arguably probably two, three 
more years left in him, if not even more, then the Packers should have added weapons around him and gone all in because their roster is built to win now. So I'm a bit puzzled with taking a quarterback in the first round, given Aaron Rodgers' contract structure. I mean, that's no disrespect to Jordan Love because he's a talented player. And I think that for his skill set, learning under a guy like Aaron Rodgers and developing a little bit is perfect for him. I think that's the perfect landing spot for him. I just don't think that Jordan Love was the perfect draft pick for the Packers, all things considered. That's a, a huge, uh, that's the, over the entire league, everywhere I've heard, that's the the, the, the line, the running line with, with Jordan Love. He's, uh, he's obviously he's got talent. He's, he's a project. He's going to need some work. Uh, here's where I found it confusing. And, and for those of you, for the listeners and Jacob, for you, I live in Wisconsin. I live, uh, I live just uh, across the border from Freeport, Illinois, in a little town called Monroe. And uh, so, of course, I'm, I'm inundated with Packer news, uh, whether I like it or not. Um, Brett Favre was a year younger than Aaron Rodgers was when Aaron Rodgers was, was drafted Kirby, you know, compared to when Love was drafted now. So Rodgers is actually a year older, but the biggest difference is Brett Favre had been, oh, what's the word I'm trying to, to think of here? He was, he was basically holding the Packers organization hostage for a couple of years prior to Aaron Rodgers signing Every single year, am I going to retire? Am I not going to retire? Am I going to retire? And they basically said, well, you know what? We're going to have to hedge our bets and finally draft a quarterback. And when Aaron Rodgers fell the way he did, it was a no-brainer for the organization. On the other hand, Aaron Rodgers has had no inklings. There's been nothing that he has said about retiring. He sees He's advocating how he wants to play for several more years. Uh, you're right. He's not playing at the top of his game. And, you know, if his name wasn't Aaron Rodgers, the last two years have been by other standards. He's been pretty pedestrian, but he's still got that stigma of being Aaron Rodgers. And he can, you know, change the game at, at a moment's notice. And there was a couple of times where he did exactly that. Uh he hasn't played well against the, the Bears at all for the last two years, that's for sure, other than the, the second half of the, you know, the opening game in 2018 when he came back from that, that knee injury that looked like it would have him out for a, a long time and lit it up in the second half, and, and especially the fourth quarter. Uh, and then the Packers, not only did they select Love, it, that was took took everybody everybody even Packers fans took him by surprise. They actually traded up to get him, and that's what's even more surprising about this in, entire scenario with this draft pick. Yeah, I have to uh, echo what you said, Mike. Uh, um, it's it's weird, uh, especially when you look at how Aaron Rodgers' contract is structured. Um, they could potentially get out of it after 2021, but get out of it's kind of not really 
what it would be. I mean, if they released him, say, after 2021, he would be a, a $14 million cap hit on 2021. Um, actually, let's, yeah, so, and then he would be a, a dead cap hit. Then he would be a $17 million dead cap hit on 2022, but they would save themselves $22 million. So this would be after next season. So, they can actually save themselves a little bit of money, but realistically, they're not going to probably do that. So you're looking at after 2021, and it would be basically the same thing. They would save $25 million on the 2022 cap, but they'd still have a $14 million dead cap on 2022 and a $3 million. So the contract is just not, doesn't make sense. It doesn't match up. And my feeling is, is Jordan Love good enough to basically pay to sit behind Rodgers? Or is he good enough to pay Rodgers to go away and think that he's going to step in? Um, because I don't, I, I just, I don't understand what they're doing. I mean, this is a wide receiver rich draft. You ostensibly need a wide receiver because you really have nobody other than Devonte Adams. And no, I don't think Devin Funches is, is the answer for them. And then you don't even take a wide receiver. I mean, there were 36 wide receivers drafted and the Packers didn't take any of them. I think they picked up a UDFA one, but they they draft a running back. Uh, they draft a tight end. You know, Josiah DeGuerre is a nice player. Maybe he's a fullback. I don't know. Whatever. But it's just bizarre. I mean, I love it from a Bears standpoint because it seems like it's going to be just a train wreck of you know, I mean, it's uh, every, everybody already makes everything and within Aaron Rodgers and the coaching staff into this big to do. And I mean, it's it's crazy. And it, just the the way they have not drafted any weapons uh, for this guy in his whole career is is wild. Um, you know, and they certainly are known for not not signing big free agents. So. You know, it's going to be another thing where the Packers have uh, have wasted a Hall of Fame quarterback's career because they basically got two, one Super Bowl out of Favre and one Super Bowl out of Rodgers. So, I mean, you know, from a Bears perspective, it feels like they're kind of punting on next season. I don't think they have a bad team, but that I don't, I would not look at the Packers as far as that they are improved from last year. And who knows what this is going to do for the relationship between Gutekunst and LaFleur and Rogers. Jacob, there was an article posted on The Athletic uh, over the last uh, day or so that basically said that this is a shot across the bow of Aaron Rodgers that um, LaFleur is, is just kind of fed up with, uh, with, with Rogers' attitude. Uh, so I admittedly did not read that, but I've have seen things that are, you know, have been swirling around on social media that, you know, LaFleur is a bit fed up with Aaron Rodgers, uh, and Rodgers is, you know, at least from an outside perspective is coming off as a bit me first instead of we first and prioritizing himself over the team and isn't necessarily willing to adapt to you know, what LeFleur wants out of him. So that wouldn't surprise me if that were the case. I do think it was a bit bold to 
uh, do something that would you know would more than likely anger your franchise quarterback. And I think that that's personally bad management simply because, you know, with the Last Dance documentaries that have been coming out over the past couple of weeks, we've seen what happens when, you know, bad management eventually uh, takes off their star player and then things crumple underneath them. And I think that the Packers could be going under somewhat similar of a situation. I mean, granted, the Packers do have an heir apparent in Jordan Love, and the Bulls didn't necessarily have a young guy in the wa- in, uh, in the waiting to replace Michael Jordan at the time. But it's the same kind of deal where they have a franchise quarterback. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the league still, even though he's not you know, at the top of his game. And they're just doing things. They're stubborn and trying to do things their way. And they're putting their ego, you know, in the forefront. So I think that what Green Bay is doing is a little bit confusing. Uh, I do think that they've done a very good job of building a talented roster that's ready to win now. And I don't even dislike the players that the Packers got. I think A.J. Dillon's a good power back and Josiah DeGuara brings good athleticism to the tight end position. But I just think both of those day two picks, one were reaches, two aren't going to have a huge impact right away, and three, yeah, what are they going to do going forward? I mean, A.J. Dillon is at best the second string running back, if not a third string, depending on how you uh, factor Jamal Williams into that. And they plan on putting Josiah DeGuara in a Kyle Juszczyk type of role. Uh, which is essentially a fullback. So that means they used a third round pick on a fullback, which I don't think is the best use of draft capital. I mean, I could be wrong. They could look to uh, catapult him into the tight end one situation if they don't feel comfortable with Jay Sternberger there at tight end. But I just think those picks were just as surprising, maybe a little bit less surprising, but still to some extent. They were a bit shocking uh, compared to the Jordan Love first-round pick. So I don't really know necessarily what direction Green Bay's management is going here. I don't think that they're doing the best job of surrounding Aaron Rodgers with talent and capitalizing on the window that's decreasing by the year. So I would say the flip side of that might be this, is that if they really believe that Jordan Love is their quarterback of the future— the what the, what they are affording themselves is the opportunity to have him sit for two seasons. Let's call it two seasons, because I feel like you have to get him in by his third season and at least see what you have. And so what what I mean, if somehow Rogers ends up, you know, having a resurgence or, you know, playing great, um, then you could potentially trade Jordan Love for a first round pick. Um you know, I suppose uh, it, it's just I, I would I would have thought they would have hedged the pick by picking something with a little more need in mind for this next season. I think that's what was so puzzling is to trade up for him and then pass on what I think were more need skill positions. So I don't know. I, I guess. It's uh, you know, only time will tell. Uh, I just can't imagine. Could you imagine if Ryan Pace, and they didn't have the draft capital to move up to 26, but if they had, say, moved into the first round to take Jordan Love, what do you think the reaction of Bears fans would have been, especially after they picked, you know, picked up Foles, 
I mean, would, would Bears fans be happy about the move to to, to take a Jordan Love? I, I don't know. I, it's it's a it's an interesting question. Yeah, I think that that's the type of question that can go 50-50 because I've seen guys on uh, on Twitter who are Bears fans that say that the Bears should have drafted a quarterback early, and then there are people that believe that the Bears shouldn't have drafted a quarterback until you know late day three, if not at all. Uh, and then, you know, comparing people who uh, didn't want to trade up into the first round, I don't think that was a very high majority of people who wanted to trade up in the first round to begin with. But I do think that if Jordan Love was the guy that they traded up for in the first round, then people would maybe be a little bit less upset about that. But I still think there would be, you know, a good chunk of the fan base that would be pretty upset with taking a quarterback uh, in the same offseason where you you know gave up draft capital for Nick Foles, you still have Mitch Trubisky on the roster. I think some people wouldn't be a big fan of that. Uh, I think others see that as Jordan Love is a high upside quarterback. Uh, if that was truly Pace's guy, then Pace you know traded up to get his guy. We've seen that happen before. He's not afraid of doing that. And he's the type of guy you can sit you hypothetically would have been able to sit for one or two years under Nick Foles and then insert him into the starting lineup. And then you still have, you know, most of your core intact and you can restart with a talented, cheap quarterback on a rookie deal. So, you know, all that aside, I think that some Bears fans would be upset with that. Some of them would be pleased with the thought of being able to have their quarterback of the future right away. I, for one, am glad that they didn't trade up. I'm happy with the haul that they got, and I'm happy that they didn't necessarily mortgage uh, future draft capital to get that outside of the fourth rounder they used to trade up for Travis Gibson, uh, which isn't a huge deal when you consider that the Bears still have their first, second, and third rounders, which hasn't happened in years, it seems like. So, yep. And not to mention they have four, at least four, uh, picks in the sixth round because they they tentatively have three compensatory picks in the sixth round uh, in addition to their own. So they lost their fourth. They don't have a seventh, uh, but they have three additional and maybe a fourth. We're not sure yet. We'll know that after this postseason. Yeah, and I do think that uh, if the comp picks play out the way that you know a lot of people think they will, and the Bears will have a lot of draft picks to work with if they want to necessarily trade up if they want to use their fifth round pick and catapult into the fourth round or potentially uh, take their third round pick and move up into the second or something like that. They could use some of those sixth round picks that they get either from their original draft pick or those comp selections. They could use that to wheel and deal on draft night. Uh, so I think that could be a really interesting scenario. I mean, obviously that's, you know, far in the future and that a lot can happen between now and then, but I think that that puts them in a flexible position. going forward. Last word on the, the Packers uh, and this uh, whole Jordan love thing. Here's what, what confuses me about the Packers draft. Uh, the, the cream of the crop in the NFC, obviously, was the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers played Green Bay twice in uh, once in the playoffs. And Green Bay lost to San Francisco in those two games by a combined score of 74 to 28. 
and they did nothing to shore up their defense in the draft. That said, I think Minnesota did extremely well in the draft, and Detroit did pretty decent in the draft. Uh, I think that Minnesota had the best draft in the NFC North. I think the Bears were second, Detroit was third, and the Packers were dead last. Yeah, I would say the story of the, the we can transition into the Bears draft. The story of the draft for me was actually Ryan Pace's restraint, um, which it was, you know, it was kind of, I mean, I think a lot of Bears fans, you know, were tuned into the first round just because there was nothing else to watch, but also, you know, out of kind of nervousness that Pace would do something silly um, and trade up into the first round. Uh, so I think he, he showed a lot of, uh, restraint and, um, you know, I knew he would probably get a little active, um, you know, because, uh, let's be honest, a lot of talented players were falling. Um, you know, there were some, some interesting, uh, some interesting other picks in the first round. I thought, you know, the Raiders picking Damon Arnett was a little uh, interesting. And, um, I think that, um, uh, I can't remember who picked them, but Austin Jackson uh, got picked a lot higher than I kind of thought he was going to go. Um, so there were some guys that were falling, and you know, so here the were here the Bears were at 43, and uh, they took you know, which for whatever reason has become a very uh, polarizing pick. They took um, you know, which to me, even though I was on the, I was I was on record as liking Jalen Hurts and, and, and would be fine if they had taken him. Uh, also, you know, uh, I had kind of been eyeing uh, Hamler and um, in Winfield, as many Bear fans had been, um, you know, wide receiver or safety. Um, but a lot of my mocks, Komet was not there at 43, to be honest. Um, he was getting snapped up in the late first round or two or three picks before that. In most of the mocks I was doing. Um, so for them to take Komet, you know, and and to really like Komet and to want Komet and for all the narrative around Komet, for them to take Komet at 43 and not move up even higher to take him, I think showed a lot of restraint. And I think it's a it's a pick that you're that we're going to look back on and say, you know, this was the right pick for this team right now you know, and, and, and for a while to come. That's a perfect segue to lead us right into the bears draft. And of course the bears did not have a, a draft choice in the first round and in the pick 43 overall in, in the second round, they did pick what, who was the consensus consensus uh, best tight end in the draft. And that is, of course, Cole Komet from Notre Dame. Um, his coach is absolutely high as hell on this guy, saying, I coach some of the best tight ends in the league, and he's right up there with them. So, uh, Jacob, where did you have uh, Cole on your draft board, and what is your feelings on that pick? Uh, well, I had Cole Komet as a solid second-round grade on my board. I had him in the 40s, I think, somewhere around 47, 48. Don't quote me on that. But I had him you know, in that second-round value. So I think that from a pure 
selection value, it was a you know a solid pick. Uh, I did not have him tight end one, which I realize is you know different from the norm. And I mean that's not to not commit by any means. I was just a very big fan of Bryson Hopkins, who is my tight end one uh, for much of the draft cycle here. But I did have Komet as a second-round grade. I thought overall it was good value. At the time, I was a little disappointed with the selection because I was very high on both Grant Delpit and Antoine Winfield. I thought that either of one of them could have filled that safety position, you know, perfectly. I think both of them have potential, you know, Pro Bowl ceilings at the next level. Uh, so I was a little bit disappointed, especially when they went, you know, back-to-back after the Bears selected Komet. But... Overall, I do like the Comet selection, especially like you mentioned, uh, where, you know, Pace didn't trade up for Comet. You know, all the all reports indicate that Matt Nagy was the guy who really liked Cole Comet. And I think that, you know, assuming Pace felt the exact same way, I thought it was, you know, a little bit surprising in retrospect that they didn't trade up for him because that's normally what they do. When they identify their guy, they're, you know, bold and moving up to get them. And they kind of, you know, don't necessarily care as much about future capital if that means they can select their guy that year. Which I think if the Bears did trade up to select Komet, there would be a whole, you know, storm of Twitter replies and people freaking out about that even more than there already uh, was to begin with. But now that things have calmed down a little bit, I do think Komet's a, a you know, a perfectly fine pick. Uh Again, looking back, maybe not the pick I would have made, but knowing the importance that the tight end position, you know, has in Matt Nagy's offense and looking at the production or lack thereof that was at the position in 2019, I think that adding Komet uh, could potentially give them their long-term option at a very important position in Nagy's West Coast offense. And I think him and Jimmy Graham are going to play off of each other very well, at least to start off their career. Uh, and then when Graham, whenever Graham leaves the team and Komet can step into a bigger role, I think that he's got the potential uh, to be a quality red zone target and a, hand, uh, a good safety blanket for uh, Trubisky, Foles, or whoever the quarterback is going forward. Absolutely. Cole Komet, um, Brian Kelly was talking about him, and I mentioned it briefly uh, and he actually talked about these guys, Kelsey, Eifert, Kyle Rudolph, and he said that that this kid, Cole Komet, he's right up there with all of those guys. And uh, it's, it's I think it's going to be exciting. I think when you know there's been a lot of narrative. Of course, the, you know the national narrative is, oh my God, they've got nine tight ends on their roster. It was ten before they they cut Dax. But um, I, I was on Facebook with a, in a Bears group, and I said, listen, I don't care if the Bears have 15 tight ends on their roster when the roster's at 90. What matters is how many, what do they have and what quality do they have when they cut down to the final 53? Or is the roster 55? I think it's 53 this year, but they still get to bring up two from the practice squad each week and have to demote them back down, but they don't have to put them on waivers uh, after the game is over. Yeah, well, they technically had 10 tight ends at the time that they took commit, but let's be honest, they had one, and that was Jimmy Graham. They didn't have any other any legitimate tight ends. I mean, J.P. Holtz is a decent player. Bronicker's a decent special teamer. 
everybody else, nobody knows. I mean, Horstead, you know, is, a, is an interesting project. Um, Sobert barely saw the field. I don't know anything about Dion Clark. I don't know anything about Demetrius Harris. Actually, I mean, you know, he's got some upside. I think he's a guy that you'll see on the roster next year. Uh, reality is, is that they've been keeping five or six tight ends on the roster every season. Um, but the tight end hole and and the tight end, you know, uh, void goes back further than Nagy. I mean, this has been, you know, a, a Bears problem for a while. Uh, it's not exactly like there's, you know, uh, this this incredible history of Bears tight ends, you know. Um, so it's it's when you have the chance to take a guy like this who comes with all of the potential positive narrative of being a, a hometown kid, uh, going to Notre Dame, um, you know, being a Bear fan, all that stuff, all that stuff goes into it. I mean, people act like just because they watch the combine and they dug into their draft boards and they look at all the metrics and, you know, um, everything that they're that that none of the rest of it matters. His personality, his makeup, his uh, story definitely matters to the Bears, and uh, I think to me, if you're if he's sitting there at 43 and Pace does not take him to take a safety, and believe me, I fell in love with some of these safeties too. But like we don't, the the need at safety was I think vastly overstated. I think the need at cornerback was much greater, and. Last year, and Lester Wilfong said this fantastically on Twitter, last year Bears fans were harping and pounding the table and talking about how meaningless the strong safety position was when Adrian Amos left and how we didn't care and that was the worst player on the defense and blah, 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 blah. But this year, all of a sudden, Bears fans were like so enamored with this idea of having this safety tandem. And, and I was one of them. And I don't really know why I fell in so in love with that idea. But... I have to look back and question myself and go, how, I mean, what's that really going to win you? You know, like it's, it's just, it's just, you have Eddie Jackson, you're spending Eddie Jackson's the highest paid safety in football. I think maybe uh, Teron Matthew might make more, but he's right up there as one of the highest paid safeties in football. When his full contract kicks in, you're already spending a lot of money. You have him. Dion Bush is not a terrible player. They re-signed Sheriff McManus. DeAndre Houston Carson's okay. You know, we want them to pick up a guy, but to, to spend their limited draft capital on a safety and then pass up on Komet when the, the hole at tight end is so glaring, and you have this guy who, by all accounts, just looks like a perfect fit. I think if, if, if you're pacing, you don't take Komet, and he goes somewhere and blows up, you might as well just, like, fire yourself, because that, that would be, I mean, a really horrible mistake, in my opinion. Jacob, we'll give you the last word on Cole. Uh, so I feel with Cole Komet, uh, he fits their wide tight end role where Jimmy Graham is more of a U. And I think that that's going to be interesting because in these you know iterations of Andy Reid's offense and his offensive tr uh, coaching tree, we haven't seen an offense with a necessarily 
dominant Y tight end. We've seen Travis Kelsey. He's a bit more of a U. They have him in a little bit of a hybrid role there, but he's more of, you know, a tried and true pass catching receiver hybrid tight end than he is an inline type of guy. And then you look at Zach Ertz over in Philadelphia. It's the same way with him. So I think this could be certainly interesting to see how uh, a guy like Komet, who's a big bodied, you know, more of a possession guy. He's, you know, he's athletic, but he's not necessarily athletic as a Kelsey or an Ertz. He's, you know, bigger and bulkier than those guys though. And arguably, you know, a little bit stronger coming out of college than either of them were, but I think they'll certainly be interesting. And uh, going back to the quote that uh, Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly said about the tight ends that he's coached, I, I see a lot of similarities with uh, Kyle Rudolph when I look at Cole Komet. It's comparing uh, the size, the frame, the strength, the ball skills, the body control. I mean, they're not necessarily burners of the tight end position, but where they win in terms of their athletic uh, ability is their fluidity and their ability to adjust and contort their bodies to make the grab. So I think that there's a lot to like in Komet's game. I think that as far as his technique goes, he's still a work in progress as a blocker. I think that there's there are some flashes in terms of his effort there and his toughness and his willingness, which I think is something that can't be taught. And technique is something that he can improve on a little bit. You know, he's got the, the baseball player background, so he's more of a finesse guy. He doesn't necessarily have that nasty uh, background. And he was a receiver, if I'm not mistaken, coming out of uh, St. Viator in high school. So, and when you look at Komet, he's still developing. He's a young guy. He's 21, I believe. So his best years of football are way ahead of him. So I think he's the type of guy, he offers some upside. He might not be in that top three echelon of tight ends. He might not be a Kelsey or an Ertz or something like that, but he could definitely be a Kyle Rudolph uh, he could potentially be a top 10 tight end, which might, you know, end up making to a couple of Pro Bowls here and there. Now, I think that's the ceiling that he offers, and that's perfectly acceptable. That's more than acceptable in Matt Nagy's offense. I think just having a reliable tight end target is necessary, and we haven't really seen that in this Bears offense. We've seen, you know, Trey Burton was solid in 2018, and then he kind of fell off with injuries uh, this past year. So I think that having a guy like Komet down the line could be huge for the effectiveness of this offense. And then obviously quarterback improvements down the line could help out Komet even more. But I think that in the long run, Komet projects well as a solid starter going forward. And although I'm a little bit worried because Ryan Pace doesn't necessarily have the best track record at the tight end position, uh, I'm willing to give him a chance because I see a handful of quality things in Komet, and I think he can be a good starter for uh, quite a while. The one, uh, only couple more things I wanted to add is that I, I, I took a look at um, Philly's offense, and I think that that's really the model that they're going to go for in the way they use um, Goddard and Ertz together. Um, it's 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 pretty uh, impressive, and I think that the Bears are going to be in a lot more of the two tight end 12 personnel um, this year, and I think that that's that should help a lot of things. It's going to help the offensive line. It's going to make the the offense far more multiple. And having two tight ends that can catch the ball, which is what Komet and Graham will be, even if they're not like 
you know, speed burners or whatever. They're two guys that can catch the ball, can run a seam, can run a drag, can do all these things. That's going to make the defense adjust. It's going to make linebackers have to, or slot corners have to worry about these guys. And what that's going to do is it's going to it's going to force teams to not load up the box. And and hopefully, you know, one of the two quarterbacks will be able to read the defense properly and decide whether or not to run. But that's what's been missing. It's been missing since the playoff game. This this problem has existed since the, the Eagles playoff game where you don't have a tight end that scares anybody. So they're allowed to leave a linebacker to spy Mitch. They're allowed to keep a guy in on Tariq and the whole offense falls apart after that. I mean, it basically the whole offense is predicated on the tight end being an adjuster that the defense has to account for. And if you don't have tight ends that can threaten anybody, and then you also don't have a quarterback that anybody respects throwing the ball. I mean, that's what you've gotten. Um, I don't usually look PFF, but PFF did a stat where they said that Cole Komet in 2019 had 67 blocking snaps. He allowed zero sacks, zero hits, and zero hurries for what that's worth. Um, so I think he, I think he has good blocking ability. I would, you know, I'm not a draft expert, but I would have, I would put him near the top of the, the blocking tight ends in this draft. And, um, you know, certainly I think he's a better blocker than Bryson Hopkins was. He may not, he's not the polished route runner that he was, or the, or maybe the, um, you know, the nifty kind of quickness, but he, I think he, he will be a good blocker and not having to worry about playing baseball, you know, and just focusing on, on football, I think is going to go a long way for him. Um, you know, and they've got Jimmy Graham to sort of mentor him. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm good with the pick. I feel like it's exactly what we needed, which is a high floor guy who's ready to contribute. And I look for him to contribute, um, you know, next season right away. Absolutely. One thing that I've, I've been looking at is um, I'm just sitting here trying to imagine uh, Jacob and, and Aaron, an empty set backfield with Trubisky or Foles in, in the shotgun with you have Miller, Robinson, Graham, Komet, and then either Cordero Patterson or Tariq Cohen in the lineup, and you can line up either one of those guys out in the slot or out wide, um, and then you can, you can always motion them back into the backfield. What are you going to guard against? You know, it, I think it, it poses an absolute nightmare defensively matchup wise having an empty set backfield with one of those guys in the lineup that can come back in uh, and, and actually do a draw play or a running play or a screen play out of that formation. It'll be interesting to find out as we go along, assuming we, we do have a season uh, just a few picks later. I think one of the steals for the bears in this draft was at at uh, the 18th pick of the second round, 50 overall, they got this kid Jalen Johnson out of Utah as a cornerback. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, Jacob, the more I was not familiar with this guy before the draft, but the more film I've seen on this guy, the more studies I've done, the more this guy just pops out in the film, and I just love the pick. Yeah, I'm definitely a huge fan of this selection. It wasn't one 
that I necessarily saw coming, but it's probably one I should have expected just because of how well I think Johnson fits with this Bears defensive scheme. I think he's a perfect replacement for Prince of Camara uh, with his length, his physicality, his you know fluidity when he changes direction, and his ball skills. I think that he brings a lot to the table. And he's a technically sound guy who's only 20 years old. So I, he's not even in his physical prime yet, but he already plays the game like a seasoned pro. I think he's the type of guy who can step in on day one and make an impact. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he started out at that uh, starting cornerback position alongside Kyle Fuller, where I like Kyle Fuller playing a little more off man, having a little more cushion to work with. And Jalen Johnson's the type of guy you play in press. You put him on the line of scrimmage because he can jam guys at the line of scrimmage well, and he can knock them off their route and he can knock them off balance well. And I think that his instincts are also very polished for a guy who's as young as he is. I think that he brings a lot to the table for this Bears defense. And, you know, like you said earlier, Aaron, uh, while I will say I love the value at safety, I do understand, you know, that cornerback does play a bigger role in not only this defense, but essentially every defense uh, than safety does, especially when you've got a guy like Eddie Jackson in the secondary. So, you know, all things considered, I am perfectly fine with if, Bears were to make one secondary selection and you were to tell me before the draft that that guy was going to be Jalen Johnson, I'd be perfectly okay with that because now you had this, uh, you have this reliable guy, you know, potentially going forward who can develop into a pro bowler. I think that's his ceiling going forward. He can be a top 15 cornerback in the league. That's my ceiling for him. And, you know, before the draft you had like Kevin Tolliver, uh, who would potentially start on the outside at press. You had Trey Roberson, uh, Stephen Denmark, Artie Burns, you know, guys who are now with Jalen Johnson in the fold, some of them might not even make the roster. So I think that's a significant upgrade at cornerback from what they had on the roster already. So I'm really excited about that pick. I can't wait to see what he does on the field for the Bears. Yeah, the only knock on Johnson and probably the reason that he slid was the injuries. He has had a couple of surgeries um, on the shoulders. Um, so there's a little bit of a concern with that, but I think Pace pointed out that he only missed a couple games in the last two seasons. Um, so, you know, that would be the, the, that's why he was there, to be honest. I mean, I, I thought that, that, that that's a guy who would have gone where the Raiders took Arnett. Um, you know, uh, he, he's definitely, you know, was probably the third or fourth highest cornerback on most people's boards, maybe fifth. Um, so it, you know, it was a great pick and, and, and for all the people that are bitching about the value, I, if, if they had gotten Johnson at 43 and commit at 50, I don't think anybody would have said anything about it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> How like, absurd is that? It's just typical Bears fans not happy with anything. I mean, you know, like, it's just, we find a you problem. Know, you know who actually, thing. you know who actually said that, Aaron, mm. on the radio? None other than Bear hater Hub Arkush. He, yeah. actually, he actually said that uh, the other day when he, he said if, if they would have picked if they would have swapped the picks and taken 
Johnson at, at 43 and, and committed at 50, I would have had a problem with it. I was like, how yeah. dumb of a comment. You got the two guys you wanted in the spots that they fell to, go ahead and grab them. My Lord. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, and, and I think if Twitter is not a good barometer of how Komet is, it will be received by this uh, fan base, not to get back on Komet too much, but, you know, there was a 45-minute parade of cars in front of his house honking and excited. I mean, I know people have nothing to do right now, but that's not why that happened. It's because, you know, this kid's, you know, he's he's uh, he's built for this. And, you know, it, so that's part of it. And Bears fans are going to embrace him when they already love most Bears fans that live in the Chicago area. Notre Dame is already their team because there's no – you know, Chicago football college team. So it's, it's, it's a great pick on a number of levels and Twitter is not the barometer. This kid's going to be super popular. Um, you know, Nagy called him RoboCop and maybe, you know, James Thornton might have a bone to pick with that, but, um, you know, it, it's great. And so I think Jalen Johnson, the cool part about him is that he's got a chip on his shoulder now. Um, and, and just in the few interviews I've heard with him, he seems like, you know, really heady kid that's that's a studier of tape, um, you know, and they asked him who he would like to play against. I think it was Sam Whitey was asking him who he was most excited to play against in the NFL. And he said, Devontae Adams. Um, and he had a, you know, he had a lot of good reasons. It wasn't just like, you know, uh, random, um, you know, it didn't, you know, didn't have any reasons to back it up. He really talked about the technique. And so I think from a makeup standpoint and from a personality standpoint, they got a guy, um, that fits and checks all the boxes. And so, you know, very, very happy with that pick. And, and like uh, Jacob just mentioned, you turned what was a weak depth position into a pretty good depth position now um, at that other corner. Uh, and, and it could, you never know, you could be uh, replacing Kyle Fuller with Jalen Johnson in a couple of years, you know, because um, uh, nobody's really talking about it, but Kyle Fuller didn't have the best season last year from the numbers standpoint. I mean, he's still solid but his 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 salary number is getting up there and you know you never know they it, it might be you could you never know what might happen so i was happy with that i mean you know it, it's two high quality players at high at, at at two need positions so what are you gonna you know realistically why are you gonna bitch about that absolutely the uh you know, one of the things we've been talking about was the restraint that uh, Ryan Pace had. I actually expected to see a trade down, but when when Johnson was available at 50, it made no sense to trade down. They ended up trading a 21 draft choice, I think was the fourth round, to move back into the draft when they picked up in the fifth round at the 18th slot, uh, Travis Gibson. Another pick that I really love, the guy has just got a, uh, he just has a motor that doesn't stop. He comes off the edge. Uh, I think that uh, he's going to be a, a packaged, um, you know, doing, you know, in some, uh, some definitely third and long situations uh, in a package. Uh, and I just really like the pick. So, uh, Jacob, what do you got on, on Travis Gibson? 
Uh, Gibson's a guy that I've been high on for a while. I think I have to go back until like December, January for the first time that he got on my radar and I started watching him. And I noticed that he's a guy I was personally very high on uh, compared to most people. I had him as a solid fourth round grade. Uh, so I think that taking him in the fifth was, you know, definitely a great selection. And I think trading up to get him, especially if that's a guy that Pace really liked, then I think that was a good call. Even if the price to move up was a little bit steep, I do think that overall the value will be worth it because I personally compared Travis Gibson to a poor man's Marcus Davenport, uh, the New Orleans Saints edge rusher who impressed this past year and was a first-round selection back in 2018. I think that Gibson's got really long arms. I mean, he's 6'3", so he's got solid length, but the wingspan is definitely noticeable with him, in my opinion. Uh, he's athletic off the snap. He's got very good first-step acceleration, and he has the ability to maintain his speed as he turns the corner. He's got good lower body flexibility. He can bend and rip underneath uh, offensive tackles and still maintain a sharp pursue angle on the quarterback. And while I think his uh, hand usage is still developing and can stand to improve a little bit, he's shown some uh, quickness in that regard. So I think that his physical attributes are definitely impressive. And I think he's uh, a work in progress from a technical standpoint. So I think starting off his career as a backup is a good call for him. Uh, give him a little bit of exposure to the NFL game without necessarily uh, exploiting his weaknesses and allowing teams to do that all that often. Uh, so I, like you said, I really like him as a rotational guy in sub packages. I think he's going to have a role on this defense early on. I could also see him taking some snaps on special teams. So, I mean, overall, not only in the short term, but in the long term, I think that Gibson was a really good pick. Uh, one, simply because I liked the guy. I had a little bit of bias towards him, but I like the fit that he brings. I think he brings much-needed depth to the edge rusher position. That was a, a need I don't think enough people were talking about because, I mean, sure, you brought in Barkevius Mingo, but I think he's more of a special teams guy than anything else. And I was, But you I brought in Robert Quinn. Yeah, outside of outside, – no, I'm saying outside – of Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, they didn't really have much besides that. They didn't really have any guys where if one of them goes down, you're going to throw in Isaiah Irving into the starting lineup. You're going to throw, you know, Barkevius Mingo or James Vaughters or someone like that. Now with Travis Gibson, I feel a little bit more comfortable with that. And going forward, I think he can be a valuable depth piece uh, at the very least. And if not, depending on how long Robert Quinn stays with the team, I could see Gibson filling a starting lineup role alongside Khalil Mack if all goes well for him. When you take a look at the front seven, um, and let's just forget about the two inside linebackers for a moment, but if you've got a healthy Akeem Hicks, a healthy Eddie Goldman, you've got this kid on, on one side coupled with either Quinn or, or Mack, and then, so you've got five guys rushing the passer. It's lights out. I mean, I, it's it's got to be one of the best. You got to go all the way back to the '46 defense of '85. Who are you going to guard when they're coming? It's just absolutely what looks to be on paper, just an absolute devastating lineup coming. Uh, you know, going into the season. 
Well, I, I like that um, Pace kind of replaced Floyd with a young player, but he also didn't draft Floyd again um, just because you look at Gibson and he's just got a lot more size and, you know, just looks like a, a, a stronger, sturdier player than Floyd. Um, so I think that was good. And I think that uh, what, from what I've read and I've seen that Gibson will be able to do some of the things that Floyd did that they did like, you know, in terms of the versatility. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised. I didn't know that much about him. Um, I do have to mention, too, that shout out to you, Jacob, because um, every pick you were just Johnny on the spot with these threads, um, you know, with with video and and everything, um, you know, coming right out every pick. So even if we didn't know, you know, a ton about him or had anything, uh, you know, we it was right there. Um, you know, even the the seventh round picks, you you had uh, the stuff queued up. So um, everybody out there listening, you know, if you haven't uh, followed Jacob Infante on Twitter, you, you, you're doing yourself a disservice because uh, he really does uh, all the all the research for you. And, um, you know, you can sound smart just by following him and uh, following these threads that he fires off at light speed when the picks are made. So appreciate that. Um, but, you know, he was just, I mean, he just looks like a like a guy who's who's gonna do what you want out of that position. So, um, you know, again, I I thought, yeah, cool, like let's go, let's let's uh, you know, let's fill that need. Um, I think that's been a like you said, it's been a, a tough need, and we've tried to fill it with guys like Aaron Lynch, and um, you know, he was rough, and uh, you know, it's uh, and they did uh, sign this week. They brought back John Jenkins, so that'll bolster some of the depth in the defensive line as well. Folks uh, that's listening, we are just absolutely thrilled to have Jacob Infante from Windy City Gridiron with us going over the draft. Um, the next guy that, that the Bears drafted, I've got to lean on, on you, Jacob, because I didn't know anything about this guy, but uh, he's got a decent prospect grade. He was drafted in the 18th spot in round five. It's another cornerback by the name of Kendall Vildor out of Georgia Southern. And I'm just going to give you the floor, man, because this is a guy that I knew nothing about heading into Saturday. Uh, so with Kendall Vildor, uh, he's a guy I admittedly had a little bit of a lower grade on him, but I do think that he is a very good fit for what the Bears need at the nickelback position. He did play... Uh, on the outside at Georgia Southern, but I'd like him better as a nickel because he isn't necessarily uh, long enough necessarily to play on the outside. I don't think he's around 5'10", but I actually see a lot of similarities to uh, Buster Screen when I look at his game. He's, uh, you know, he's a nickel, so you automatically think, oh, this guy's going to be fast, but Vildor's a very aggressive and physical cornerback for his size. He's not afraid to, of contact. He's not afraid to jam you at the line of scrimmage uh, and to fight with you along your stems of the route uh, and to try and knock you off your balance. Uh, and he's a very competitive player. You watch the tape. You watch uh, his reactions like before, during, and after plays. You see he just brings this energy and this swagger to a defense. And I think that that's going to fit very well. Uh, in Chicago's locker room because you have a handful of guys there who are, you know, confident. They're 
not necessarily a loud mouth, but they, you know, they're energetic on the field. And I think that Vilder is a very good uh, fit and he matches up well with those guys. So I think with Vilder, I mean, he's fluid. He's not necessarily a stellar athlete at the cornerback position, which could see a little bit of troubles early on in his career. If you play him on defense, uh, but I think he's physical. Uh, he's fluid. He's got good ball skills. He tracks down the deep ball and adjusts to, you know, the ball in the air. Well, and I think that he's going to offer a decent amount on special teams. I think that he's a willing tackler. He's physical. He's not afraid to lower the shoulder, which I think is something that you don't see a lot of at the cornerback position nowadays. You see a lot of talented cover guys, but not necessarily great tacklers. And while Vilder, you know, his form could improve as a tackler a little bit, I do think that the willingness and the physicality is definitely there. So he is, he is explosive, Jacob. I'm t taking a look at his numbers. He ran a 4-4-40. He had 22 reps at the, on the bench press. He, he had a vertical jump of almost 40 inches, a, a broad jump of 11 feet 1 inches. Uh, so he, he does have some, uh, some uh, explosiveness to his game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an underrated aspect in his game. And I think that allows him to, uh, you know, high point the ball and go jump up and grab passes that maybe other cornerbacks his size couldn't necessarily grab. Uh, and looking at his fit with the depth chart, I actually think he resembles Buster Screen a little bit more than Duke Shelley does. And I know a lot of people were high on Duke Shelley uh, this past, uh, last year in, during the draft. And I was one of them after that selection. Uh, but I think Vilder's a better fit for what the Bears need at, at the nickel cornerback position. So I think that might be tough uh, for Shelley to beat him out in the long term, especially considering Vilder's the new rookie. Uh, the Bears aren't necessarily known for releasing rookies outside of, you know, seventh-round guys. They don't release their rookies. They keep them on the roster, whether they play them or not. I think it I, you know, I still like Duke Shelley, and I think that he's got some, you know, upside to tap into, but I think it might be a little bit tougher for him uh, to get reps in this, you know, in this defense, let alone potentially make the team when you look at other guys who can play on the outside uh, that they have on the roster. It might be a little bit more difficult for a guy like Shelley to make it. So I don't know. You never know. But I think that Vilder's a very good fit in this defense, and I think that he's going to be a guy that Bears fans uh, really enjoy watching. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the comparison to, to Shelley. Uh, Shelley disappointed last year, especially on special teams. He he got called for penalties uh, on in the return game just about every week before he finally got, uh, I think he ended up back on the practice squad or inactive. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. This this could be uh you know could be a cap casualty for the uh, you know for for the Bears by releasing screen and and putting this guy in his place. He certainly looks the part, so it'll be it'll be interesting. The only thing I would say about Builder um, and that I noted is that he was a captain, which I thought was pretty interesting at a cornerback position. Um, so you know that that. I think speaks a lot to his character um, that he was named a team captain, you know, normally or a defensive captain normally um, 
I don't, you know, it's normally like a linebacker or something like that. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and again, you know, playing, being Georgia Southern doesn't play a lot of uh, high level competition, but his, his, uh, his measurables, I mean, you went over them, but he also has a 39.5 uh, vertical jump too. So, you know, that's, that's pretty nuts for a guy that's 5'10". Um, and I also think that he could be a guy that uh, Pagano will use on the blitz um, because he does like to blitz his corners. And I, I thought screen played okay last year, but there were a number of times where screen was on the blitz and his, I just didn't think his blitzing was good at all. Um, you know, and so I'd like to see somebody who's not afraid to, to get in there, uh, stick their nose in there and somebody with that kind of speed and, uh, strength, you know, will, will, uh, serve that well. That leads us to the third pick in the fifth round. I think is another steal. I know he wasn't graded that high. And quite frankly, when the Bears didn't address the wide receiver spot after losing uh, Gabriel uh, in the offseason, uh, this is a kid that, that has the speed that the Bears need to, to blow the top off. Uh, and then open up the uh, the middle of the field for the tight ends, and that's Darnell Mooney, out of Tulane, ran a four three eight, and he and he after after the uh, after he was drafted, he said he probably could have done better uh, in the forty. And when you look at his film, this is another guy that that pops because he plays as fast as his speed was when he was when he was timed at the combine. Jacob, what did you got? Uh, what do you have on Darnell Mooney? Uh, and Darnell Mooney was another guy that I was personally very high on compared to most. Uh, I talked to, I believe it was February or early March, where I looked into a couple of options for the Bears at receiver who would fill that speed need, where I looked at a couple of free agents and a handful of draft guys. And in addition to your KJ Hamlers and your Jalen Ragers, I added a few, you know, mid to late round guys. And one of those guys was Darnell Mooney. And I compared him, and I stick with by this comparison, to Taylor Gabriel. Because I think that uh, Darnell Mooney, he's a smaller guy. He's like 5'10", uh, roughly around 170. Uh, the way that he leaps for catches and... Yeah, he, he, he looked... Uh, I just saw his tape, he reminded me of Gabriel a lot. Yeah, I think that the athleticism he brings, uh, they're both undersized receivers, but uh, Mooney definitely makes up for it with his speed. He can stretch the field a bit uh, due to his athleticism and his uh, footwork as a route runner. And once he gets the ball in his hands in the open field, he's very tough to catch. But one thing I think that's especially interesting with his game is that he plays more physical and he plays bigger than he actually is. He does a good job of boxing out receivers and contested catch situations. And we saw Taylor Gabriel, he's a smaller guy, but during his time with the Bears, he was able to make a handful of difficult catches in tight windows. And I, I see that trade in Mooney as well. Even though he's skinnier and he's smaller, I think that in addition to that quick twitch athleticism, he's also you know, a willing and capable guy who can go up and attack the jump ball. You know, maybe not quite as well as a bigger receiver, 
but I, he does it, you know, pretty well, and he does it very well for his size. So I think the fit in the offense is, you know, seamless there. I, I don't know necessarily if he'll step in, you know, from day one and take that starting receiver job. I think that might be a job that, you know, Riley Ridley could take as the Z receiver uh, at that other outside position alongside Allen Robinson and with Anthony Miller in the slot. But I think Mooney could fight for that starting position and he'll have a role in the offense simply because they don't have anyone like him on the roster, really. I mean, they added a guy in free agency earlier today. Uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I just saw a little blip of it. Uh, but I don't know. From what I understand, that guy is pretty quick. But other than him, they don't have that true speedster in that offense. I mean, Cordero Patterson, he's more of a gadget guy. He's not like a true wide receiver you want taking significant reps. He's a guy you can play in a bunch of different positions and move him around. But I think Mooney is going to be a very good fit in the offense. I think that he has potential to outplay his draft positioning. Uh, and again, like you said, on tape, he's just so much fun to watch because he's just a bona fide playmaker. And I think that that's the type of guy the Bears really needed to bring into their wide receiver position. When you take a look at, uh, at Mooney's uh, tape compared to Taylor Gabriel. Gabriel was, is 5'7", 168 pounds. And this kid is 5'10", 176 pounds. Uh, so he's, he's got, you know, he's got decent arm length at, at 31 inches. He's got uh, decent size hands at uh, 9 and 5 eighths inches. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't exactly jump out of the building, but his vertical leap is still 37 inches. Uh, but his four, you know, his, his 4.38 speed, uh, and he, like I mentioned earlier, uh, said he could probably have, would have done better than that, uh, is something that the Bears, I think, are going to be able to use in, in 2020. Oh, the other thing I liked about this pick, too, is that, and you know, and I've been very critical of Pace, but it kind of shut up a lot of people about the Komet pick a little bit because he basically went and got the next best thing to Hamler. You know, um, he, he got, you know, the fifth-round version of Hamler. Uh, you know, and, and I think there, you have every reason to believe that, that Mooney could end up being just as good of a player um, as Hamler is. You know, he... It wasn't a great game, um, but he he played pretty well against Auburn, um, against Ego uh, Benehe, or however you say that guy's name, that the, the Vikings ended up taking. He had three catches for, I think, 48 yards. Um, so it's possible that maybe that's when they, you know, when they saw him. Uh, on tape, you know, he, he, you know, it's just three catches, but three pretty big catches, um, you know, on a day when, you know, for the most part, the two-lane offense wasn't really doing much um, against Auburn, but, um, you know, he, he had some moments, uh, and, you know, like you say, he, he just, he, he, that play speed matches the, uh, the 40 time, and that's, that's what you're looking for. Um, he does look thin, but if you're that fast, it doesn't really, I don't think it really matters. I so, do like, sorry, if I can just go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. add on to the KJ Hamler point you made. I think that's a very good point where I think Darnell Mooney offers a similar skill set to KJ Hamler. Uh, I mean, obviously he's not as polished and not, 
you know, as talented of a prospect, arguably, as K.J. Hamler. But he brings in that dynamic speed weapon who can make defenders miss after the catch. And he can stretch the field, you know, with his speed and take the top off the defense. But, you know, I think that that was great value. If you're passing on K.J. Hamler in the second round, then you can get a guy who's, you know, kind of like a K.J. Hamler light. I mean, I know they have similar skill sets and there are things that they differ in to some extent. Like I think Hamler is a more polished route runner and he offers a little bit more strength in his frame. But, you know, all things considered, I think that the Bears needed to add speed at the wide receiver position. And I think they did a very good job of doing that by getting Moody on their roster, especially at that point in the draft. Well, and again, it's like, you know, if you stuck Mooney on on Penn State, I mean, I think he might ju- jump out just the way Hamler did. You know what I mean? You you stick him on a, on a, 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 a talent-laden team, you know, um, and, you know, put him with a, with a much better coaching and just more, you know, just more resources and you're going to have it at, at Tulane. You never know. Um, so uh, I was just, I was excited with that pick. I was just like, yes, like Pace nailed that just because the, I still felt like that was the next um, big area of need. And, you know, I just that that was like what was missing for me was like that exciting pick in the draft. And I felt like, OK, cool. Like this guy's this guy's exciting. You know, he's going to be fun to watch. Um, just just from a pure speed standpoint. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Aaron. The Bears did not have a draft choice in the sixth round, but they ended up with two in the seventh round. Uh, and this is where they they used their draft choices to uh, uh, add some depth to the offensive line. I think one is better fit as a guard, and the other one is, is a tackle, I think. Uh, you, you might disagree with me, Jacob, but... Uh, Lacavius, I hope I'm saying that name right, Simmons, uh, otherwise known as Pig, that is, I believe his grandmother gave him that nickname when he was a kid, uh, out of Tennessee State, was their last pick. And before that, they, they drafted a kid by the name of Arlington Hambright, who played guard for Oklahoma State. And then he transferred to Colorado as a graduate transfer and played all of uh, last season as, as a guard. Uh, the one thing that I do like ab- about, about the kid they call Pig is when you take a look at his tape, he's got a little bit of a mean streak on him, and, and that's kind of something that the Bears lost when, when, when Kyle Long went down for the, the season and ultimately his career. They didn't have a, a lineman that had that mean streak that I think that the Bears need to, to shore up the, their offensive line uh, and be a little bit tougher in uh, those front five. Yeah, and I think that Arlington Hambright and Lachavius Simmons are both uh, ideal developmental guys, especially for a seventh round. I think that the idea of drafting multiple offensive linemen uh, in the draft, if you can afford it, it's definitely a great move because worst case scenario in the seventh round, you get a practice squad guy or someone you can eventually let loose. Best case scenario, you have a developmental guy who can potentially be, you know, quality depth piece and uh, either 
you know, use him as trade bait, or you can insert him into the starting lineup. Uh, but either way, I like the idea of adding multiple offensive linemen because the depth on the offensive line wasn't necessarily good. I think that Hambright and Simmons uh, bring different things to the table. I think Hambright uh, could play tackle. Uh, I know Ryan Pace said he likes him at guard, and, you know, so if that's the case, then I think he will play guard. But I think Hambright could also play at tackle as well. And uh, with Simmons, I think, you know, he's played both tackle positions, both guard positions. He had starting experience there. He was a four-year starter in college. So that versatility is certainly going to be impressive. With Hambright, I think he is most intriguing with his athleticism in his lateral quickness and how he rotates his hips and squares up to the guy when he makes contact and how he accelerates when he climbs to the second level. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know he ran a sub-five-second 40-yard dash at his pro day. So, you know, I think that kind of backs up what the tape says, that he's an athletic tackle. I mean, he's a prospect. He's a project for sure. Uh, his technique isn't all that great, and I think his strength could improve. But I think as far as a guy who offers tackle and guard versatility, someone who's athletic, uh, that's the type of guy you can mold in the long run and, you know, see what comes out of that. And then with Simmons, I definitely agree with you when you said that uh, he's got a bit of a mean streak in him. He's a nasty guy. And one thing that I like to look at when I'm, I'm watching small school prospects, especially offensive or defensive line guys who are in the trenches, uh, I look for someone who's got to dominate the competition. And I think that that's something that Simmons definitely did. Uh, when he latches on to you, he's got very strong upper body. Uh, his grip strength when he latches on is impressive, and he's got the drive to push forward and then drive a the guy into the dirt. Uh, he's not as athletic as Hambright, but I do think that Simmons is a bit more powerful at this stage. He's a bit heavier, uh, if I'm not mistaken, by roughly 10 pounds. Uh, and I think that you know shows in his skill set. He's a powerful guy. And like Hambright, Simmons is a bit raw. I think his pad level can improve and he can do a better job of getting his weight underneath him. But I think he, he was able to get away with it with his raw upper body strength. Uh, Middle Tennessee State, uh, I don't know. I don't think they'll be able to do that as consistently in the pros. So working on that technique, I think, is definitely something that can be, you know, a priority for him going forward. But I think the Bears did a very good job uh, of adding two late round guys for Juan Castillo to work with. And regardless of whether you think they should have added an offensive lineman earlier, which, you know, maybe they should have, uh, they did get two solid guys who can, you know, serve as backups and fill in essentially anywhere. And again, I really like the idea of developing offensive linemen because that's something we've seen. The Eagles have done that over these past few years. Uh, they had hollow Pilati, Vitae, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but And they had him for a while, and he started a handful of games, and he just got a big contract with the Lions. So that's going to get them some uh, compensatory picks, uh, roughly around the fourth or fifth round for a guy they picked in the seventh round. And then you also have, like, you drafted Andre Dillard, and now he's going to replace Jason Peters. And you look at the Cowboys have done the exact same thing. Some of the better offensive line units in the league have stockpiled the offensive line talent. And I think that that's a very good strategy, especially if you can afford that. Uh, so 
I give Ryan Pace kudos for using multiple picks on offensive linemen. So, you know, while I don't know necessarily if they're going to make an immediate impact or if they're even going to be on the active roster as, as opposed to the practice squad, I think that in the long term, they have some upside to uh, work with. And I think that that's a very good uh, seventh round flyer to make sure that they don't hit undrafted free agency and risk losing them to somewhere else. Now, were you surprised? I think one of the more surprising things about this draft was how the rest of the quarterbacks fell and from being one. Um, I was actually very uh, proud and pleased and surprised that pace was able to resist taking from because I, I really hate Jake from, and I was praying with every pick that we did not take Jake from. And so it was just surprising that, you know, he fell and then Anthony Gordon didn't even get drafted. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, eventually Cole McDonald, you know, got drafted and uh, there was some talk that the bears had preliminary talks with Danucci about a UDFA deal, but the Cowboys ended up um, picking him, you know, were you in the camp that, that the bears should have drafted a developmental quarterback uh, because pace has, you know, as much been publicized as yet to make good on his promise of drafting or attempting to draft a quarterback every year. Oh, well, I think that for the most part, the bears were smart to not draft a quarterback this year, especially early. I know there was a vocal uh, part of the fan base that wanted the bears to draft Jalen hurts in the second round, which was something I you know, disagreed with simply because of the structure of the roster right now, it's built to win now. Mm. And, you know, unlike what green Bay did, when you have a win now roster, uh, you should do your best to surround, you know, your team with talent, especially when you just use, a fourth round pick to trade for Nick Foles and you still have Trubisky on the roster. Uh, you're looking for guys who can step in and have some sort of role right away. Uh, I, I personally wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been mad if the bears used a fifth round pick on Jake Fromm. Uh, I would have been perfectly okay with that. I do think that, you know, using a quarterback in the first four rounds was a bit of a, you know, I didn't think that that would have been a great value, but in the fifth round, especially with Jake Fromm falling, I would have been okay with that, but overall, I'm perfectly happy with what they ended up with. If you're looking in the seventh round, though, I I was personally hoping that the Bears would have drafted Anthony Gordon, and I know that a lot of guys wanted the Bears to draft Anthony Gordon. I didn't want necessarily anything to do with him in, say, the fourth round in that little bit of time where they had a fourth-round pick before they traded it for Foles. Uh, and maybe even in the fifth round, I wasn't too thrilled with the prospects of drafting a third string quarterback in the fifth round. But in the seventh round, I was surprised that he went undrafted. So I thought he would have been a very good pick given the value in the seventh round. I believe I had a six round value on him looking back at it, maybe fifth. I'd have to go double check, but overall though, given the value that the bears got at each of those positions, I'm, I'm content with them not drafting a quarterback. I'm very happy that they didn't draft one early this year. Uh, I think that's something to save for next year when they have a first-round selection. But, you know, all things considered, I'm I'm happy they didn't draft a quarterback early, and I'm okay with them not drafting a quarterback late, even though I did think 
that they should maybe should have looked into at least signing an undrafted free agent to bring in as competition for Tyler Bray. But it's not a huge issue. That's not the biggest need on the roster. I'm all right with it. Absolutely. You know, to finish up, we're, we're talking about the seventh round and the, the two offensive linemen. Uh, they also picked up two offensive linemen in, in free agency with Jermaine Fetty, Jason Spriggs. They also picked up an additional two offensive linemen as, a, as an undrafted uh, uh, free agent, one of which is the backup tackle off of the LSU Tigers, a guy by the name of uh, Badera Treor, who, uh, you know, he stepped in, he started three games for the national champions earlier in the season. Um, and I think that that guy, he's an, he's an interesting pickup. So got to give Pace kudos for doing what he did to, to bring in a lot of depth for the offensive line. You know, everybody is harping on the fact that there's nine or 10 tight ends on the roster. As, as it stands right now, it's at nine. Uh, they have 15 offensive linemen on the roster and they have spots uh, open. They have 88 rosters uh, spots taken up, which means they have two left that they can fill to get to their maximum of 90. Uh, so you got to give Pace credit for, for what he's done. We've got 10 wide receivers on the roster. Uh, we've got 15 offensive linemen. We've got 17 defensive backs, and that's a combination of corner and safety. Uh, so there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of competition uh, once they, uh, they can get this uh, off-season program underway. Hey Jacob, before uh, before we let you go, um, you know the the one guy that you had mentioned about that they picked up uh, over the last 24 hours uh, is Trevor Davis. Okay. Uh, he yeah. he was a pack. He played for the Packers. He played for Miami. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't get the the pickup, but other than for for depth, uh, and then of course they picked up uh, uh, John Jacobs for a second tour with Chicago. Um, I don't think anything stands out in in the U in the undrafted free agent other than the fact that uh, they're taking a flyer on a kid by the name of Mac, uh, that uh, Ladarius Mac, the uh, the younger brother to Khalil, who actually looks impressive on tape. Uh, and I will say that usually in years past, the Bears have picked up at least one guy that I've done some sort of research on uh, in undrafted free agency. Last year, it was Emmanuel Hall and Dax Raymond. Uh, the year before that, it was Ryan Nall. That was a guy who I you know, watched. Uh, but this year, they didn't bring in any of the guys that I've watched uh, prior to the draft. So I had to go back and do a little bit of film study. And when I looked at Ladarius Mack, I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw. And... Now, I don't know necessarily if he's going to translate to the NFL because he's a shorter guy. He's, you know, just shy of 5'11", and, and an edge rusher, that's a little bit of a problem. So I don't know if they want to move him to an off-ball role, uh, but I do like his explosiveness. You know, he accelerates well off the edge. He can uh, move around in space well. He's got very good lower body flexibility. And when uh, we were talking earlier with Travis Gibson, that ability to – you know, rip and dip and bend uh, 
and t- while turning the corner and maintaining uh, top speed as you're rushing the quarterback. I can see that in Mac too. Uh, I do think he needs to bulk up a little bit uh, if he wants to play edge. And if he wants to play a linebacker, I think he's certainly athletic enough to do so and play him in like a sub package role where he blitzes a little bit sometimes. And I think, you know, the special teams value is going to help him out. If he does move to linebacker, then his instincts for the position uh, in a stand-up in off-ball role, that's going to have to, you know, develop as time goes on. But I do think that there's a chance for him to make the 55-man roster now, so that might help him out a little bit, that they added two extra guys through the new CBA. Ultimately, I think Ladarius Max, a guy you put on the practice squad for this year, uh, I think that he's going to have a little bit of a transition period, but I do think that with his athletic traits and what he brings and his versatility uh, on defense and on special teams, he's a guy worth at least keeping in your organization. So I think they put him on the practice squad for a year, potentially take a role as, you know, a back end off ball linebacker or edge rusher, wherever they do. In the slot. I think he's a guy that they can eventually uh, bring in and, you know, promote him to the active roster of Aldo as well. I mean, that, that's the best case scenario for him is he's a decent depth add uh, and a, a fun story with his brother being on the team and also a uh, uh, solid special teamer going forward. You know, it's interesting that uh, when you take a look at, we're talking about lack of size. I'm going to throw a name at you and I'm going to throw you some comps. <laughs> Um, Ladarius Mack um, on ESPN uh, lists him at 6'1", 240 pounds. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Dwight Freeney. I think we all remember him. 6'1", he was 268. So, you know, Ladarius can, uh, can bulk up a little bit. You know, his, his smaller size and the leverage... Uh, you know, and I'm not saying that this guy could be the second coming of Dwight Freeney, but if, uh, you know, if, if he uh, bulks up a little bit, he can play well on special teams, he might be able to spot, uh, you know, and you can't have enough guys rushing that can rush the passer. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, hey, Jacob, before we let you go, um, you had just mentioned that uh, the Bears roster is, quote-unquote, built to win now. Uh, but uh, you penned an article saying that um, you are thinking that the Bears might even regress this year even further than what they did last year. And uh, I wanted to take you to task a little about that. So I'm going to let you uh, have the floor and talk about why you think there might be a, a further regression in 2020. Uh, well, I personally will say that I I don't think it will happen. I personally think that they'll stay around where they'll end where they were uh, in 2019. I think that an eight and eight, nine and seven record is likely in the cards, assuming that there isn't a you know dramatic increase in quarterback play. I think that they have enough pieces on defense uh, where they can you know, put together a top 10 unit and they improved their offensive weapons. Uh, so I, ultimately I do think that the bears will stay put or potentially increase their win total by a win or two, maybe 
Uh, I don't think they're going to win the division. I think that that's uh, Green Bay's, you know, locked up in the top there, even with their poor draft. I think that they're, you know, locked uh, at the first overall spot, considering Chicago's, you know, lackluster quarterback play and Minnesota's losses in the offseason. I think regression could be possible. I don't think, even if it is regression, I don't think it's going to be a huge regression by any means. Uh, maybe if the quarterback play doesn't improve, if, you know, Foles plays like he did in Jacksonville for those stretches post-injury. I mean, he had a good game in week one, then he got hurt. And that stretch where he played after the injury and then ultimately got benched for Gardner Minshew, if Foles steps in and plays like that, then it's possible. And if Trubisky steps in, keeps the job, but still plays at a poor level, then I could potentially see it. Ultimately, I don't think this team does worse than seven and nine, but I don't think they do better than 10 and six. And I think 10 and six is being pretty generous at this stage. Ultimately, I think we could see another eight and eight season, potentially nine and seven. And that might be enough uh, to sneak in as the seventh playoff team uh, with the increased playoff uh, schedule going forward for the NFL. I don't, I think it'll be difficult because a lot of teams in the NFL improved. I think the Buccaneers definitely improved. Obviously the Cardinals improved. And then when you factor in teams like Dallas or Philadelphia, whoever doesn't win that division, you factor in uh, potentially Minnesota, maybe Atlanta, and then whoever doesn't win the NFC West between the Seahawks and the 49ers that's going to be a lot of competition for the Bears uh, to get that wild card spot. So I think it's going to be tough for the Bears to make the playoffs this year. I don't think it's impossible, but I think just at the stage where it's at right now, they have a lot of talent on the roster. It's just the quarterback position that I don't think is going to be uh, enough to propel them into that top tier like they were in 2018. Uh so I, it's going to be difficult for sure. I think it's not impossible. I wouldn't put it past them. And if the offensive additions and the new coaching staff, if that works out, then I think it's possible we see a little bit of that 2018 shine and enough to sneak into the playoffs. But I think they do have a tough road ahead of them. I'll be obviously rooting for them, as any Bears fan should be to do well. But I will acknowledge that it could be difficult, and I think that they have – a lot of really good competition in terms of fighting to make it into the playoffs this coming year. It'll be interesting. The, the Bears don't play the NFC uh, West this year, other than the fact that they do play the Rams, who uh, the Rams and the Bears finished third in their division. So they do play the NFC South. They play the AFC South. So they play the Panthers and the Jaguars and the Falcons and the Titans. Uh, um, on the road, and they play the Colts, they play the Texans, they play Tampa, and they play the Saints at home. Uh, And the only other home game besides the other three um, NFC North teams is is the New York Giants. So um, on paper, it's an easier schedule than the 8-8 team that was a year ago and they're, you know, let's face it, they were they're two plays away from being 10 and six with a terrible offense. And I'm speaking of the running into the kicker against Oakland and the missed field goal against San Diego. 
and they're in the playoffs last year, even with the terrible offense that was the 2019 Bears. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to go on out on a limb, and I'm going to say that the Bears are going to be no worse than 10-6 and six, and maybe even 11-5, and five, and uh, they are actually going to take the division away from Green Bay because Green Bay didn't do anything to help their defense and their defense is the biggest problem that, that they had last year. Yeah, I personally, uh, I am all for lowered expectations because I think that's the best thing that ever happens to Bears teams. Um, high expectations are absolute death for Bears teams. So I say more kudos to you for, for uh, having low expectations, Jacob. It's going to be my motto for this upcoming season is keep the bar and the expectations nice and low, and then the Bears will just soar above it like they normally do when we don't uh, go out and call them Super Bowl champions, uh, you know, uh, bef you know, before they before they even uh, make the playoffs. So, um, I, 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 for the record, I tend to agree with Mike, and I think they're going to be uh, a 10-6. Uh, I don't know about winning the division because I think that. Uh, I think this division is going to be kind of a bloodbath. I, I like what Detroit did. Uh, they really got a lot of nice running backs. Um, I am also determined to not get overly high on the UDFAs, but I do like Artavis Pierce from Oregon State. I think that was a nice little sneaky pickup at running back. Um, and then I think I'm interested to see what the six foot five kid from Kentucky, Ahmad Wagner, um, could be just you know, just from a standpoint of, wow, six foot five, uh, maybe he could be a big, you know, a big target. So, uh, but other than that, I, um, I think that Ladarius Mack, uh, you know, I, I hope he's not Casey Erlacher. Let's just put it that way. Um, because, uh, <laughs> he's, he certainly hasn't played a lot of football. I mean, he definitely looks the part. He looks like he is, um, you know, uh, a, a big, um, you know, big, uh, a brother of, of Khalil, but he, you know, he's smaller. Um, you know, he could be, that's what I was joking. And we were joking on my other show is that he's going to be Casey Erlacher or Larry Jordan, um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, not, not ever quite live up to the big brother. Um, but it's a fun story. Well, I, I'd be surprised, uh, if he makes the roster, but you never know how much pull Khalil has. <laughs> and then I, I thought the kid from Western Illinois, LaCale London, um, you know, might be a good local story to watch on the uh, 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 linebackers. Jake, got to ask you, got to ask you a question, Jacob. Uh, before the last question, before I let you leave, uh, do you live in the Chicago area or do you live out in the suburbs? I live in the suburbs. Yes. Which one? Uh, Plainfield. Playing field. Uh, I, I tell you what, since we kind of put the bar at nine and a half as the over and under, uh, you want to put a steak dinner? Uh, you take the under, I'll take the over. We'll put uh, a steak. We'll put a steak dinner on that. I'll meet you at Chicago Cut. Uh, well, about that, I do not eat meat, so that might be a little bit of an issue, but. <laughs> If that happens, then... <laughs> do, 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 okay, I'm sure that Chicago Cuts got some vegetarian dishes. I tell you what, you pick the restaurant. 
okay? And uh, it's got to have good vegetarian dishes for you and a good steak for me. And uh, loser, loser pays for the dinner. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. We are on, and it's recorded, and it'll be out for everybody to look at. So uh, there's, there's no backing out of this one. So uh, our guest uh, this evening has been the one and only draft expert. I guess there's a few draft experts at Windy City Gridiron, but one of the best in the business, Jacob Infante with, from Windy City Gridiron. Hope to have you back on the show again sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on. As always, it was a blast. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks so much. Everybody can follow Jacob Infante on Twitter, J-A-C-O-B-I-N-F-A-N-T-E-24 on Twitter. Follow him uh, with the Windy City Grand and also does work for DraftWire. Uh, definitely a great follow and always lots of information uh, and good stuff out there. Appreciate you coming on, Jacob. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jacob. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue everywhere. TickSplits.com is so open for business and uh, all of the canceled, a lot of the canceled concerts have been rescheduled. So uh, absolutely sign on to TickSplits.com. Uh, your seats are guaranteed. If your games are postponed or, or canceled, you will get your money back. Uh, so TickSplits.com. Don't forget to use tailgate, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E. Uh, it's a special discount promo code for, for us. Uh, and you get 5% off of any purchase for any ticket, any venue, everywhere, ticksplits.com. Eric, great show with, uh, with Jacob. And uh, boy, we probably could have talked more about the, uh, the uh, UDFAs, but uh, uh, we spent so much time with the draft picks. It was just fun. To, it's always a good listen when, when Jacob's on board with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's uh, I I could couldn't uh, know much without following him on Twitter, um, you know, because like I say, he puts up those great videos so quick and um, always with the uh, mocks and the analysis and everything uh, and the nice articles on uh, Windy City Gridiron. So yeah, um, I as far as the UDFAs, like I said, I'm 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 kind of determined this year to not fall in love with them because I just feel like that's a it's a it's it's a fruitless pursuit. Um, you know, Dax Raymond was just cut. You know, he was a guy that people were uh, loving, and you know, the Bears put out this big video about his about you know his life and all this stuff. And it's like you fall in love with these guys, and it's like realistically, they're they're probably not going to make the roster. So, um, you know. Uh, although I do like the running back, I, I do think Artavis Pierce. Um, he's a guy that um, can can could see himself on the roster. Um, and the uh, lineman you mentioned from LSU, I think, has a good chance as well. Um, other than that, you know, we'll see if Mac sticks as a special teamer. Uh, I think that'd be a fun story. Um, but uh, I feel good after the draft. You know, I mean, I feel. 
you know, uh, like like they filled the needs and they got some good players. Um, I was a, I I, I kind of had a weird letdown when the commit commit pick happened, but then I, I the more I thought about it, I was like, why am I feeling that? I don't know. It's not. It's, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, he really is. Uh, you know, he 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 looks to be the perfect pick. So why not? Absolutely. Well, um, now the uh, we've got virtual workouts, I guess, where the uh, yeah. coaches can can talk to the players and mm-hmm. structure uh, some workouts for them to uh, yep. to start getting in shape for the season, if and when that ever happens. Uh, the the schedule is is due to be released sometime between May seventh and May 9th. Um, okay. And there are contingency plans to to have the Super Bowl played at its normal time and all the way back until the 28th, uh, from what we're hearing uh, through uh, the wonderful universe of Twitter. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when the schedule comes out uh, in about uh, seven or eight or nine days. Um, next week, uh, we won't have the schedule to talk about, but there might be a couple of uh, other roster moves, which we will uh, talk about some news going on around the league. And we will get back to our history segment. Uh, over the past several weeks, we've been going over the guys who that uh, the Bears have honored by retiring their numbers. We started at number three with Bronco Nagurski a couple of weeks ago. We stopped with Gail Sayers. So the next up is Brian Piccolo, uh, who his, uh, his, his, his history with the Bears and his career at, at Wake Forest and his battle with, with cancer was uh, so eloquently portrayed by James Kahn um, in, in, a, in a movie uh, with Billy D. Williams. So uh, we'll talk a lot about that movie. And uh, other than that, Aaron, do you have any last words for our for our uh, listeners? No, um, although this couple pieces of news came out today that that uh, supposedly the Pfizer is saying that they they're they're going to start testing a vaccine for uh, COVID and that it could be um, out by fall. Um, so. I, I do think there is some hope for for sports to come back. Um, I think it may be a while before there are fans in the stadiums, but um, I will say that I think there's just too much money involved um, for them to not figure out a way to get these games going. Um, and you know, uh, whether it's with the you know kind of interesting and odd baseball season they've talked about with different divisions, um, or uh, you know. You know, a, a, a different uh, schedule with football. If that if that ends up happening, I do think it's going to happen. Um, and so, you know, I think we should. I think we have reason to to be hopeful for that. Um, and then, you know, in Chicago sports right now, uh, you know, the Bulls just remade their front office, and the Blackhawks uh, cleaning house. It looks like so. That's. Um, I'm not not sure what your opinion on that is. I know this isn't a hockey show, but I know you're a hockey fan. Um, but I I would uh, I, I feel like that's uh, something that Blackhawk fans should be hopeful about, especially if Bowman um, 
gets out of there. So uh, could be uh, some cause for optimism on the on the front of almost all the Chicago uh, sports teams coming up here. So that's always a, a good sign and a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Uh, well, we, why, why don't we talk a little bit about the other Chicago sports teams in the time we have left? We have about 10 minutes. Sure. And uh, so, of course, you've got the Cubs uh, with a brand-new manager. Um, it's going to be interesting if and when the Major League Baseball uh, season finally comes back. Um, I like what the White Sox have going into, going into this year. I think they're going to be... A lot of fun. I think they're they're a lot like where the the Cubs were in 2015. Uh, they're maybe a year away, but they could surprise us. Uh, for those of you that don't remember, the the Cubs uh, ended up tied for the wild card spot with Pittsburgh, and they had a one game playoff. They beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They ended up going all the way to the uh, league championship series before they they lost. And then, of course, 2016 was their year, uh, and it was just a fun year to to, to watch. Um, I stopped watching uh, the Bulls after the Jordan era because I was so disgruntled with Jerry Krause and what he did to dismantle that team that is being so eloquently replayed uh, with the uh, ESPN documentary Last Dance that uh, is now through its first four episodes. Uh, and it's absolutely just riveting watching uh, this entire series. I've got it. Re I've got all four previous episodes recorded, and uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun to to watch. And the Blackhawks, uh, as long as Jeremy Colleton is the head coach of this team, in my opinion, the Blackhawks will not make the playoffs. Right. Uh, they have they have now wasted. The uh, uh, what is the downside of their their core, um, and I'm I'm, st I'm talking Taves and Kane and you know Seabrook. I don't think will come back. I don't think uh, you know. And obviously Duncan Keith has lost a step. Uh, they have never been the same since since Marion Hosa left them. And when you you get a chance to look at some of these games, um, the yeah, the NBC Sports Network has been playing back. They played back the, the championship game against Philadelphia, the championship game against Boston, uh, the championship game against uh, the Lightning. So they're, they're dynasty years in 2010, 13, and 15. And you see these bit players that they had that really just – added something extra to to the, the careers of the Hoses and the Canes and the Taves. Uh, Sharp was playing well back then. But I'm talking about the, the Dustin Bufflins and and the and Nicholas Jalmerson and Campbell. Dave the, you know Campbell, uh, Dave Bowen who scored the game winning goal uh, against against the Boston Bruins yep. in game six where they were actually losing and they scored two goals in the last minute and a half. Probably, if I have this right, it's the only game in Stanley Cup Finals history in, in a deciding game where both goaltenders were pulled. Because the, the Hawks pulled Crawford mm -hmm. uh, and, and got the game-tying goal, 
they got the game-winning goal with about 30-some-odd seconds left to go, and Boston ended up pulling their goalie uh, to try to get the, the game-tying goal. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, so, I mean, just, just incredible, incredible theater. Um, so it's just been a lot of fun to, to, to go back and, and, and watch that. The, the game, the, the game, last game of the 2016 World Series has been broadcast in its entirety. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so we've, we've been somewhat blessed to have all these great games mm-hmm. in, in, in Chicago sports history over the past several years that these networks have been able to to turn around and rebroadcast for our pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. Uh, I think when the McDonough news came out, I'm hoping that it, you know, means that they're going to clean house um, because uh, you're right, Carlton. I, I, is, I don't know why. I, just every move they've made over the last four seasons has just been bad. Trading Panarin, um, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily against bringing back Shaw, but that didn't work out. Uh, you know, you fire one of the best coaches in the history of the game and in Chicago sports lore just for whatever reason, so ridiculous, like why they fire, you know, their coach, it just made no sense to me. So hopefully McDonough's gone because he didn't want to fire Bowman and Bowman's going to get out because, you know, I just feel like, yes, you know, they, they, they got the three cups. That was great. I think they, you know, McDonough should be credited for a lot, but again, it's like they, they just have made the, a lot of wrong choices, and you know you're gonna you you still have Kane and Taves who are are pretty damn talented, um, but you either needed to to trade them and go young, maybe a year ago, or you needed to continue to build around them, and they did neither. Um, you know, I mean, I think they've they've picked up a couple young guys here and there, but it's like they've been struggling to to get defensemen since Chalmerson left, since Bufflin left. I mean, and this is, you know, however many seasons ago. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, they can find somebody to bring in and um, maybe, you know, get get these guys back into contention for another uh, run or unfortunately they've got to, you know, blow it up and, and start over. Um, you know, just because you can't keep going like this. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about the Blackhawks, you, you, when you, we talked about some of the bit players, you know, there, there were the, the Dave Bolins and the Adam Burrishes and, and the, you know, later the Artemi Panarin's uh, Kopetsky was a great bit player for the team. Um, it, defensively, it, Jalmerson and Campbell and Letty, uh, mm-hmm. And Letty's still playing at a high level for for uh, I, I don't know who he's with currently. Uh, maybe the Rangers. Panarin mm-hmm. had an All Star year with right. the Rangers. Um, so it's just mistake after mistake after mistake. They're not going to get uh, Kane. Kane and Taves are going to retire Blackhawks. I, I'm I'm thoroughly convinced of that. But getting maybe getting rid of the 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 overweight contracts of Duncan Keith. And uh, and Brent Seabrook, Brent Seabrook hasn't been the Brent Seabrook for three years that that we were accustomed. 
He, right. Well, his, both, both those contracts were just awful. They shouldn't have ever given them those huge deals. And it's just rough. So, and that's why they had to. That's why they had to get rid of the Artemi Panarins mm -hmm. and the and the the Nick Lettys and mm -hmm. uh, you know the the other guys whose whose names uh, escape me because we kind of are doing this completely. Yeah, yeah. You're in foot. You're in. You're, you got football names in your brain. I get it. <laughs> Full of but, a whole new draft. Everything. But, uh, you know, it'll, uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see what the Blackhawks do uh, with their front office. But uh, Bowman's got to go. Colleton's got to go. When you looked at the team, uh, this, is, this is my opinion. And I've been following the Blackhawks almost as long as I've been following the Bears. And, uh, you know, I just celebrated my 63rd birthday last week. Um, so it's been a long time. It's been a long time. And you look at Colleton and you look at, at him behind the bench, you look at him in his pressers, he shows no emotion. Absolutely shows no emotion. And I'm sorry, but that carried all onto the ice with the team. A lot of times they, they played emotionless hockey and they, they would get a couple of things going and, uh, you know, they, they get on a little bit of a winning streak, and then all of a sudden it was like somebody pulled the plug. So that's, that's yeah. what I see. I mean, that's what just, I see in the future for the Blackhawks. Carlton's a guy who he should be an assistant for five years and then maybe get a shot. He's not a guy that you, you put as the head coach of Hall of Famers. Like, I mean, give me a break. Like, to fire Quinville and to bring that guy in the way they did it, that was shameful. That was shameful stuff and and you know what like mcdonough deserves to get fired just for that um you know and and to put that guy up there i mean i i, I have no doubt he's smart i mean he maybe end up end up being a good coach five ten years from now but he, he just looks out of his depth i mean he, him and boylan together are like just a couple of morons. I mean, Boylan's got a lot of experience, but you just look in their eyes and they don't look like they know what the hell's going on. So, absolutely. Hey, well, that, I, that, 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 I got to tell you, we, we, we might want to talk about more of this a little bit offline, but that's <laughs> going to wrap up our show yeah. for this week. I want to thank our guest again, Jacob Infante uh, from Windy City Gridiron, my co host, Aaron Torricelli. Urcelli. I always get that wrong. Sorry. I always get Wanda's last name wrong, too, when Sorry. we have her on. And, of course, our sponsor, TickSplits.com. So with that, good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.